We're doing Thessalonians today, First Thessalonians. We haven't even gotten to the Gospels yet. We're, sp- we're going in, um, this is what we're doing. We're going in the, or- this is just me nerding out on you, I'm so sorry. But we're going in the, 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 the documents that are the oldest, at least historically, that we have. So the, they wrote the Gospels down. There was this mysterious Q source doc, you know, gospel document that, that Matthew and Mark and uh, Luke kind of used, and they added their own ideas to it. And that all got written down afterwards. Like these guys are old. They're like, oh my gosh, we should probably write these. We should probably write the story of Jesus down before we die, right? We're talking. You know, it's probably a good idea. But but you know who? We're, these are like these are like fishermen and stuff. There's like knuckleheads. Like, yeah, maybe we should write this stuff down. But uh, one of the oldest letters uh, that we have is Thessalonians. It's probably Paul's first letter. And so as far as historical documents go, this is probably the oldest, and that's why we're doing it right now. Um, But it is debatable, but who cares? We're doing Thessalonians today. Um, Let me give you a quick little uh, survey, and then I'm going to hit on the main point. I believe what the main point of the book is. uh, Thessalonica was one of the very first Christian communities outside of Jerusalem. They're a brand new church. They're a brand new church plant. And, and Paul went and he visited and he got things going and they were already doing stuff and he was able to pour into them. And uh, he, had a, he, had a, he had a flee because they were being persecuted. And so this letter to them is, is saying, how are you guys doing? I know, I know that you've been persecuted. I've heard rumors, but I, you guys are doing pretty good. That's the general tone of the whole book. He is encouraging, he's encouraging them because they've been, they're getting beat up. They're getting killed. Actually, the persecution uh, that, uh, that the Roman Empire start, the emperors start, it starts here. It starts in Thessalonica. It starts in one of the very first Christian communities. Don't you think it's ironic that they, they were, you know, that this is where it began, was one of the first Christian communities. The devil wanted to destroy one of the first Christian communities. And they were doing an amazing job. They were actually, I mean, this Thessalon- the letter to Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, is really a letter of encouragement, like compared to the Corinthians, right? Those guys were, they really needed some help. But this is an encouraging letter. And it goes like, I, just make, I, know, that, I, I know you guys are getting beat up, but stick it out. Was anybody, was anybody persecuted this week? Yeah. All right, we got one. <laughs> Praise God, right? <laughs> Praise God. Uh, one of the themes that we've been hitting on is joy in our church, yeah. right? Um, because, again, a strategy of the enemy is to make depressed Christians. He can't pull you out of hell, but he surely he can make you depressed. So it's just a strategy. It's this dumb trick, and sometimes it works. So we've been praying, and we've been pushing, we have been interceding and worshiping for joy. Do you know that persecution produces joy? At least it should. Uh, He's not here today, but we had another friend that was persecuted this week. I mean, it's not like there were, no one's trying to kill us, right? Right? We have it really easy. No one's out to murder us or chop our heads off. We, are, it is, it, we, we have it so easy. But somebody makes fun of us at work, and that just completely dismantles us. We get so offended. 
We get so, you know, we, didn't, we, didn't, we don't say anything. Like, if you got persecuted at work this week, praise God. I need to be persecuted. Like, my joy levels are kind of going down a little bit, so I need to be persecuted. <laughs> no, for real. Look, look uh, this is, what's that? Right. No, I want to be persecuted. It's about time. Like, I haven't been put in jail lately. <laughs> I've been arrested for the gospel, and it's been a while. Where? China. It's his fault. <laughs> uh, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed, happy. That's the definition of blessed here. Awesome. Blessed, happy yeah. are you when people insult you. You just need to see, okay, when people make fun of you for being a Christian, it is low-grade, low-level persecution. And if it makes you depressed, if you get insecure because somebody made fun of you, you're not ready for the next step, nor are you ready for the next level of joy. It's okay that somebody makes fun of you. So yeah, a friend of ours in the church was persecuted this week at work. I mean, pretty bad. And it just destroyed him. It, like, destroyed his identity. I'm like, dude, you got persecuted this week. Good for you. And as soon as he saw that, I'm like, this is low-grade persecution. You should be happy. It changed everything. Happy are you when people insult you. Happy when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. This is red-letter stuff, by the way. This is what Jesus says. Rejoice and celebrate because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. You are the salt and the light of the earth. Right? So we know this. So it's good to be persecuted. Kind of shows us who we are. And uh, this is what's going on with the Ephesians. They're being persecuted and Paul is encouraging them. And a general survey of what is going on in the book. Uh, it's amazing. It's a, it's, a, it's a sweet little book. He talks a lot about um, the end times. So in uh, chapter 5, um, in chapter 4, chapter 5, he, this is where we get the term the rapture. How many people have heard of the rapture? So he talks about that, chapter 4, verse 16. For the, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. And after, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So cool, huh? So, and then he talks about the day of the Lord, talks about the, I mean, so basically, I did some calculations. Jesus, I know when Jesus is coming back. It's tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really, I mean, we can, we, we, we can, that's my eschatology. That's my study of the end times. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And tomorrow, when I'm wrong, it's going to be the next day. It, and, and really, that is the heart of, of what Paul is saying in this, in this letter. It's the doctrine of eminence. 
I'm not like imminence meaning that you, there, it's going to happen and you need to be ready. There needs to be an expectation. We need to live expecting the Lord to return any day, any moment. Like he could come back at lunchtime today and then I'm going to be wrong because I told you he's going to come tomorrow. But what if he comes today? Really, what if he came back today, this moment where we meet him in the clouds? Are you ready for him? What would you do if he was here right now, standing in the room? What would you say to Jesus? Or if he knew you only had 24 hours to go, what would you do in the last 24 hours before you're caught up into heaven? We only get the opportunity to worship the Lord in the midst of our pain when we're here. We, get, we have the opportunity to worship God from the perspective of our hurt and our pain and our sin and our loss. When we go to heaven, we won't be able to worship him in that way anymore. This is a unique time. There's only, there's only one moment in all of eternity when we get to worship him out of, our, out of our brokenness. Because when we're in heaven, we don't have that opportunity anymore because we will be made whole. So take every opportunity that you have to worship God in your brokenness. That's all you get. You only have so many Sundays. I don't know. Math people, calculate how many Sundays we have left. Until you die. Right? Like, what's on your bucket list? Tomorrow, right? But, but seriously, what's on your bucket list? Yeah. Is worship on your bucket list? Come on. <laughs> Encountering God in our brokenness, is that on your bucket list? We don't get to serve the poor when we're in heaven. It's done. We don't get to experience that joy of pouring our lives into somebody. It's done. I love praying for the sick. I do it all day long. I'm not going to have the opportunity to pray for the sick when I'm in heaven. So I get to see miracles now. I don't get to see this stuff when I'm in heaven. I'll be living in the glory of God, the miracle. I mean, but I don't know. I think it's cool that we get to do it here. Okay, so he talks about the rapture, the day of the Lord. He talks a little bit about, uh, about being nice to each other, right? But unlike the other guys that he writes letters to, he says, you know what, you guys should probably be nice to each other, but you're already doing it, so good job. So maybe I think that's for us, too. Like, we're actually a really amazing church. I think this book is written to us. Like, Paul's saying, this is what we ought to do, but you're already doing it. So I really don't need to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Be nice to each other. So that's another theme of the book. And then, of course, he talks about the, the issue of sanctification, uh, sanctification is the idea that we, we ought to be living holy and separate lives. Not that we live sinless lives, that's kind of nearly impossible to do, but that our mindset and, that our, and, and the, way that, the, the way that we see the world is that I am living in the world, outside of the world, I have been sanctified, I have been set apart for, as one that does good works for, for the kingdom. That's the idea of sanctification, that you've been set apart to do God's works. So he says, and he says to them, you've been sanctified, you ought to be living this way, but in fact, you are living this way. 
So good job. So there's really not a whole lot of heavy stuff here. Nobody talks about sex because everybody talks about sex. He says something interesting, though. And um, this is what I like. I don't want to say I like this, but this is, this is unique in Thessalonians and the issues of sex. It says, it is, uh, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, set apart, and that you should avoid sexual immorality. No duh, right? Tell us something that we don't know. Um, and that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not like passionate lusts of the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. That's actually what I want to get to today. This is the only thing I want to talk about sex is that, um, so we know that we, have the, we know that we shouldn't be, you know, prostituting our bodies and, and, and defiling our, our temple, our body is the temple. We know we shouldn't be doing this. We do it anyway. We're just, this is, you know. <laughs> I'm not, it's not about that. I want to get to the idea that, that Paul is making a really important point to believers that rape is not okay. <laughs> like, even in the confines of marriage, you should not do that. So that's all I wanted to say about it. So, yeah, I'll leave it alone. But again, it's unique. In Thessalonians. Not that they had an issue with that, but Paul wanted to make it a point. All right, so here's what I want to get to. Uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Verse 19. This is the point of the whole message today. And I believe that this is the emphasis of Paul's whole letter. Because again, they're all doing good. They're in good shape, right? It says this. Chapter 5, verse 19, don't quench the spirit. This is the only time in the entire book that he says don't do stuff. Don't quench the spirit, he says. You guys are doing great. You guys are amazing. You're being nice to each other. You're not sleeping around. You understand that you're sanctified. You're even being persecuted and you're taking it. They ha- the, the Romans haven't broken you yet. You guys are amazing. Don't quench the spirit. So this is, this is the only thing that he has. This is like, I want to say like the only finger pointing that he does. Don't quench the Spirit. Look, the, the, the Holy Spirit is working in your number. He is moving among you. You are overcoming persecution. You, you are living in a beautiful Christian community where even the world sees because there's an intimate, the, the language is very intimate. He calls them brothers and sisters, and they're not literally brothers and sisters. They're just acting like brothers and sisters. And they are loving each other like brothers and sisters. And in other points in Acts, the world is taking note that it doesn't make logical sense that this group, this really weird breed of Christians, that they actually love each other. That's what captivated the world. Is it wasn't necessarily the signs and the wonders and the miracles that was an important part, but what the, the world was really fascinated by was the idea that they loved each other. There was a lot of magic tricks that were going on in the ancient world. You could take your pick from mystery religions. Some of them probably real. Like, there was a spiritual world. We don't live in a spiritual world. Like, there was demonic activity that was producing really cool magic tricks. 
But what the world noticed was the fact that these really weird Christians loved each other. That's what was highlighted to them. Don't quench the spirit. Okay, check this out. So he says, don't do this. Don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. All right, so whenever we talk about the the idea of not quenching the spirit, do you know what that means? Usually when we teach about the idea of of quenching the spirit, we we pair it up with with grieving the spirit. Uh, Ephesians uh, 4.20 says, uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit comes from a place of, of sin, of living inside of sin. And so uh, well, one of the things that we need to know about the Holy Spirit, we call it the Holy Spirit, or we call it Holy Spirit, but he is a person. He is, and it's, it, it's so hard to get our heads around what the Holy Spirit is, but we really need to think about who the Holy Spirit is. Yeah. And again, it's weird because we call it the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, El Nino, right? It's the Nino. It's, it's, it, but it's, he is, like he wants to hang out with us. He wants to be in our midst. He wants to be in our church services. And we, we, there's two things that we do. We either grieve him or we quench him. And then he goes away. Um, Let me think if I can give a good example. I have an amazing illustration about grieving the Holy Spirit, but it's really kind of junior high, high school talk. So I'm not going to give it. It's amazing. It's the best illustration in the world. Should I? Why would you say that? All right. Okay, just pretend like you're, pretend like you're in youth group, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like this you know, youth group pastor or whatever. Okay, this is, this is grieving the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like peeing in the pool, right? <laughs> Kindergarten, it's even worse, right? But see, everybody does it, right? Everybody does it. They just don't admit to it. But everybody is grieving the pool, Right? Everybody does it. Everybody's grieving the pool. Some of us do it from the diving board. And see, you're never going to, this is going to stick with you for the rest of your lives. It is the, the idea of grieving the Holy Spirit. It's introducing sin, your sin, your bad stuff into a holy environment. And you grieve it. And you can't, you can't get clean when you're continually grieving the Holy Spirit and you're not living in a sanctified life. You're not living in a repentant lifestyle. Does that make sense? So that's grieving the Holy Spirit. And, and what grieves the Holy Spirit and what quenches the Holy Spirit, it's actually the same triggers. And in a sense, and it's the same result. You get an absence of the Spirit. Uh, back into Ephesians. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, the day, the day of the Lord, maybe even this day of rapture. There's all kinds of theories about this is the day of the Lord the same thing as the rapture. I don't know. I don't care. I just know that Jesus is coming back. Get, okay, ready? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, envy, malice, 
So you bring those things into the pool, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Yes. When I was doing the youth, um, we, were really, we were pushing the kids into the, the, the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. One of the, 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 one of the sign gifts of the Spirit is the gift of prophecy, words of knowledge, if you will. Those, there's, they're, they're nuanced. They're, they're very similar, but they're different. But the idea that we, we, the, we have the opportunity, everybody gets to play, even our kids, yes. and they get to hear from the Lord. And so we were practicing this in, the, in a safe environment, and these kids were open to the love of God, and they opened their minds, and they were, they were open to the idea of, of living a transformed life where they love each other, and they're able to give God's words to each other, and they were spot on, they were dead accurate, the... the the room changed. There was a peace in the room. There was like a, an excitement in the room and electricity in the room. And I'm like, yes, God, this is so amazing. And then the next week I had two girls fighting in the parking lot and they were pulling each other's hair and it was gone. They grieved the Holy Spirit and I couldn't get it back. You see how precious it is? Now, same, same triggers, different Different, different twist, because quenching the Holy Spirit is basically sitting in an empty pool. It's like you want, you want to play in the pool, or you want your kids to play in the pool, but you've you got the water hose on it, and you decide you're just going to turn on a little trickle, and you're going to let your kids just wait for it and, and just freeze to death. Or maybe just use the bathtub. You're sitting in the bathtub and you're waiting for the water to come in. You're waiting to get clean. And then some control freak has control over the knobs. And they're either making it too cold or making it too hot. Or they're not pouring out anything at all. So this is the idea about quenching the Holy Spirit. It comes from a place of control rather than a place of sin. Don't quench what God is doing in your life. Don't quench what God is doing in this church. In the, in the body of Christ, don't quench it. Uh, do, you, do you see the difference? I, when God comes in and he's like, you know what, Josh, uh, okay, there's a lot of good things you're doing here. You're nice to people. You know, that's great. You know, morally you're good. You know, you got things taken care of. You know, even when you're persecuted, you suck it up. Good job. Don't quench the spirit now, Josh. I mean, I'm doing a good work in you. And there's more I'm going to do. And as the Holy Spirit comes into your heart more... There's things that are going to be opened up and expressed, and I'm going to take care of them, but here's the deal. It's going to hurt because I'm going to pry open your heart, hmm? right? And the Holy Spirit works on us, especially in the areas of emotions and attachments and hurts and hang-ups and, and dysfunctions, and you let the Holy Spirit in there, it's going to hurt. And so what do we want to do? How many people are control freaks? Control freaks, come on. Take control, Right? <laughs> Control freaks, don't quench the spirit. Let God in. Let him heal you. 
You don't have to be in control of it. Don't quench the spirit. This is what he says. Don't grieve the, uh, okay. Uh, don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every evil. Now, if we start from here, because I think this is the center of the whole book, we work our way back up to 14, and it says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle. So what the question is, how are the, how are the Thessalonians quenching the Holy Spirit? What were they doing that was actually quenching the Holy Spirit? Throughout the whole book, there's little clues. This is one of them, verse 14. I urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Warn those that are not doing anything. They are quenching the Holy Spirit. And those who are disruptive, they're quenching the Holy Spirit. Okay, encourage them and encourage the hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Here, Give thanks in all circumstances, even when you're persecuted. This is how you don't quench the Holy Spirit. That makes sense? Okay, now, I think it's really interesting that he's got, because there's only, really there's only two don'ts. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't treat, treat prophecies with contempt. I was challenged on this one this entire month. All right, John, get up here. We're in the band. We've got to wrap it up. I was challenged with this one the entire month. Okay, do you understand? Okay, prophecy is a really weird, weird word if you're new to church because you're thinking Nostradamus. Basically, it's God's will and his His plan for your life, tapping in what, into what God wants for you, how he's designed you, his plan and your, not, not your plan. And it is so vital as we, as we begin to move forward in our, in our spiritual life that we have a destination and a, a word from God, prophetic word from God, helps us to, it gives us a point to hit when we're growing spiritually. And in times of stress, you can get a word from the Lord from brothers and sisters or whatever. And so this, this month and this week has been, I've been tested in this area of prophetic word because um, I have friends outside the church, pastors, that, that, that I do fellowship with. And all, I had five this past month, most of them at the end of, the, at, at the end of this um, month, in the last week, mostly. And the words, I, so I, my, my pastor friends would either call me up or in a meeting they'd drag me aside. You know, the word, the God, God's given me a word for you. And my response is always, let's hear it. I want to know what God has to say. You are in my life. We are in, in accountability. I want to know what God has to say. And from pastors, and I don't want to give you a bad um, rap on pastors, but from pastors, all of these words of knowledge have been vague at best and mostly wrong. And so I'm going into this area, not that they were like wrong in a bad way, but they were just vague. They were just like, you know, God really wants to use you. I'm like, eh, tell me something I don't know, right? But some of them were just dang wrong. The Lord says that you shouldn't quit ministry. 
I have no desire to quit ministry right now. This is the most exciting time of the church that I have ever experienced. And the last thing on my mind is, is quitting the ministry. So there's just wrong stuff. But see, what, what Paul says is you need to test, test these things. Test them. Test them all. And you hold on to what is good and you get rid of, you reject what is bad. Now, how many people you would just really like to get a clear understanding of what God's called you into a prophetic word for your life? You want one of those? Okay, here's, here's the thing. Inside of this community, love each other better, do small groups together, speak into each other's lives, pray for one another. My best prophetic words have come with, from within this house. I got a phone call from a guy who is a, like, he is a full-blown prophet. Like, that's his job. Like, that's what he does for a living. That's kind of weird, right? But he holds the office of prophet. And he was wrong. But you know who was right this week? One of my sisters in this church. Isn't that amazing? That's who built me up, was my body. Why? Because when we do it well, we love each other well. And when we love each other well, God gives us permission to speak into each other's lives. I'm not saying a a prophet or another pastor from outside of who you are can hear from God and give you a word. That does happen. But I'm telling you, the best words that I have ever gotten have come from people that love me, that know me best. So I want to encourage you, you want to hear from God, get together and pray for one another. When the Holy Spirit, when you feel something in the room, don't quench it. Don't try to control it. Let God have it. Let him have your heart. If you've got sin that is grieving the Holy Spirit, it's really easy to take care of. Repent. Change the way that you think about your situation, about the environment that you're living in. If you see God moving in somebody else's life, like God is blessing them. Okay, how many have ever experienced this? Where God is actually blessing somebody and not you. (laughs) Right, gonna get an amen on that? Right? You know how you quench that one? You're jealous. And it's because you have a platform and God's blessing somebody else. They're really excited about the Lord when you used to be. You used to be God's favorite one, and now somebody else is God's favorite one. You're just little snipes, little backhanded compliments, right? Little sarcastic behavior, little religious attitude, little... Um, I'm better than you stuff. I've been there, done that before you did. You just wait and see. This, you know, this excitement that you have for the Lord is going to fade. Do you know what you're doing? Inadvertently, unconsciously, you're quenching the spirit that's moving in them. If God is doing something in somebody else's life, push it forward. Pray it up. Throw some gasoline on that thing. God is saving somebody in your number. He's transforming somebody. That's a good thing. All right, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, right now, we just thank you for your living and your active word, your freshly spoken word and your concrete truth that you gave to us in a bound book called the Bible. And I pray right now that we will walk humbly before you, that we will attempt to live sanctified lives, holy and separate, for your good work. I pray that we will receive persecution with joy, that we're finally doing something right. I just pray right now you create in us a clean heart. And may the God of peace, God himself, bless you through and through. May he sanctify your spirit, your soul, and your body so that you may be held blameless in the day of the Lord. And the one who calls you, he will do it as he has promised. We pray this in your name, God. Amen.